Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, buckle up for this one. Two marketers and two agency leaders are talking in-housing. Why brands are taking many of their outsourced creative, production, media and even tech inside to specialist company units. In-housing proponents argue there are huge gains to be made in efficiencies, in cost, speed, and organizational IP by building their own teams. CUB's former marketing boss and architect of its in-house studio and media unit, Chris Maxwell, who's now co-founder and partner at Lucian, says in-housing will surge this year. Chris is joined by Betfair Marketing Director Nick Thomas, who has also created an in-house operation and is upbeat on the upside. Now, joining Chris and Nick for an agency perspective is Justin Ricketts, CEO of WPP's Hogarth Production Group and DDB Group Managing Director of Strategy and Innovation, Leif Stromness. So welcome, gents. I'm very much looking forward to this one. It's been a, a conversation that we've been ongoing for a few years, and it may seem like uh, this year might uh, have, a, have a little bit of a, a new spin on things. Chris Maxwell, let's start with you and your experience at CUB. You say uh, CUB was probably about five years behind in digital capabilities, I think, when you created an in-house unit back in 2017. It's now got about 35 people. And since then, you've gone out on your own and launched Lucian with a, with a bunch of very high-profile partners. Uh, we'll get to a bit of that a little later, but what were the challenges, Chris? Um, just run through those challenges that led you to an in-house uh, operation at CUB, what, 2017 you were thinking about it, I think? Yeah, we, we kind of started thinking about it before then, but but first off, thanks very much, Paul, for having us on, and it's great to be on here with this esteemed panel of guests, and it's an exciting topic to talk about, so I'm really pleased to be here. So just to give you a bit of background um, I was at CUB for 12 and a half years, and, and back in sort of that 2015-16 era, I was asked to head up digital. And in CUB, most people um, would know CUB is an exceptionally talented and skilled brand building business, you know, have built some of the most famous brands in Australia over the time. And CUB is really good at that sort of traditional marketing, big ads, big sponsorships. Um, but at the time, um, we hadn't really evolved into the digital era. We, we didn't really know what we were going to do with data, content, personalization. We, we just we just hadn't, hadn't made that leap yet. I was given the reins to come in and have a look at digital um, and figure out what the future should look like at CUB. And one of the things that I did was come in and um, run an audit over um, the digital partners we were working with, what were our brands doing, and how are we going about it. And, and really quickly, we surmised that um, the brands were working in silos. We had a number of different agency partners that were delivering kind of varying quality work. Um, and one of my observations was, um, having had been in the business for some time, the business really hadn't improved. We hadn't gotten better. Um, you know, we were doing the same kind of work in 2015 and 16 that we were five years earlier. And that was a bit of a frustration for me because my observation was, we were um, partnering with these great agencies, but a lot of the learnings and a lot of the capabilities were still outside the business rather than coming back into the business. So I kind of formed a view that we needed to build um, capability for things like data and tech and programmatic and content inside the organization. So I went through the process of building up a, a business case and took that up to the board and ultimately um, got that business case approved and was uh, able to build an in-house 
um, integrated digital content production and, and media team at CUB. And as you say, we were easily five years behind the market and very quickly we got up to you know the, the, the leadership in that space because we had that capability inside the organization um, we were able to be more agile you know we were able to be faster and closer to the consumers and we we, we built it around some amazing people and, and you know one of the big benefits that um, we found that we weren't expecting was having that kind of creative culture and creative people inside the organization was transformational for the business. So not only did we have the capability and the speed, but we had that kind of creative culture, you know, in a corporate environment that really transformed not just the marketing team, but the total business. A couple of points there, Chris. So I think two other frustrations you had and two upsides that came from this in-housing initiative was on the programmatic media front, I think you talked about suddenly uh, you found rate improvements of circa 30% when you when you started to take your, your digital stuff in, in-house. And on the other side, on the production and creative side, you're also frustrated, I think, with the fact that the process and the turnaround times from your agency partners might have been the same for a big idea, a big campaign that you might launch as it was for a small social snippet uh, that would have to go on the on the platforms, on the social media feeds. Um, just talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, one of the first people that I brought into that team was some, somebody who was a guru in, in, in media. And we actually got her out of our media agency at the time and brought her over to work inside the organisation. And very quickly, um, we took the reins over our programmatic media investment, our social media investment, and were able to demonstrate significant um, improvements in not just CPM, but also effectiveness. So sort of double double um, improvements there, you know, in the range of sort of 30% on cost and another 30% on, on effectiveness and, and um, therefore, you know, really significant improvements and, you know, putting that down to having dedicated focused people working on the business, um, targeting better, probably using the tools better, um, we were able to demonstrate that that was really worthwhile. And I think I've read enough and seen enough and some of my business partners, you know, one of the fellows from from my, my team is um, Stephen Hunt, who's ex-Universal Music. He, he did the same thing, brought programmatic insight at Universal Music and saw, you know, savings and, and efficiencies in the range of 30 to 40% as well. And I think um, that's pretty common. With regard to sort of the turnaround times and, and production, um, as you, you mentioned, you know, we were working with some of the best agencies in Australia and CUB still does. Um, and, you know, w- one of the things that we were doing was we were briefing in um, social campaigns in the same way we were briefing in all the other work. Um, and, you know, we were, it was going through, you know, typically an account manager into the creative team, into the production team. And, you know, the turnaround time from... Um, brief to execution on a little piece of social content might be two or three weeks as opposed to a couple of days. Um, And, you know, right-sizing the production workflows and investment um, for the channel and for the content was really important for us. So, you know, we were able to bring some of that work inside the organisation and, you know, the turnaround times would go from, you know, weeks to days, even sometimes, you know, if you really had to drop everything, this has to happen now, you could turn things around in less than 24 hours and that wasn't an all-the-time thing and I think Justin probably knows as well as anyone, anytime you bring um, those kind of capabilities in-house, you can't treat them like a dog's body that just kind of runs around and does stuff for people. You've got to have proper processes and ways of working and kind of plan that out effectively to get the most out of them. But um, we saw huge improvements in sort of turnaround times. And that meant that we could do, get more work out the door 
faster and, and be closer to our customers and consumers. So two final things before we, we get to Nick. Um, uh, the, the number of agencies then that you started to partner with post the internal unit, I think you sort of talked about having eight to 10 different digital shops and so forth, that, that sort of reduced significantly? We, we started with about sort of in that eight to 10 range, some who we, we kept working with and we worked with them to partner with the in-house agency. And I kind of think if, if there's a point to make here, and I know you've got some of the agency guys on, on the call um, as well. The point here isn't um, it's in-house versus external agencies. It's finding ways for them to work and partner really well together to get the best out of both worlds, is my opinion. And so that's what we were trying to do when we did this at CEB. And we had conversations with some of our incumbent agencies about you know, how do we um, find ways for you to partner with us better and actually add value rather than feeling like it's um, encroaching on your territory. Final uh, for the opening stanza, Chris, is that you, you're of the view that there is likely to be a bit more of a surge in, in housing for 2021. Why so? I, I look at some of the trends over in Europe and the United States and, you know, Australia often follows the United States and, and we saw some studies come out um, not that long ago talking about um, the trend in, in in housing in the United States going from you know roughly forty percent of businesses um, ten years ago having in house agencies to now you know almost eighty percent of businesses so kind of doubling over that period of time and when you think about that they're saying eighty percent of marketers in America work with an in house agency of some um, kind that's you know four in five marketers are saying we've got that so I don't think we're there in Australia yet we're not we're not even close to that and I sort of see that that trend will continue. Having worked on the client side um, and seen the benefit of it, I can only kind of evangelise for that model. And that's kind of why we built Lucian is to help um, clients find their, their way through that and, and navigate to you know faster, better, more efficient, more effective models. We'll loop around to Lucian uh, a little bit further on. But Nick Thomas, um, you've opted for in-housing too. Why and what's happened since? And I will note to our audiences that you are a superhero at the moment with knee surgery, so you're doing well being able to talk. Well, we're about to find out whether you can talk, Nick. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Paul. And uh it, I think our story has a lot of commonality with what Chris just talked about at CUV, but our business couldn't be any more different, right? So just a quick summary of who Betfair is. You know, we're a business of uh, 120 people. We're a peer-to-peer betting exchange. So our customers set our odds. So we only win when our customers win. So our business model is all, all about helping customers to, to win more and taking a clip of their winnings. And for us... All of the, the media and creative has been done internally for the last couple of years. And we've only had a couple of people doing our digital media buying. It's, we've got you know, slightly shallower pockets than some of our competitors. But we saw three to five fold improvement in digital media buying effectiveness when that was brought internally. So over the last kind of nine months or so, when I've been in the business, we've been going through a big strategic review. We've built an entirely new customer strategy and brand strategy that's going to set us up for for a period of growth, we hope. And in doing that, we've been going through this marketing transformation and reviewing what do we need from a kind of partner point of view, from a capability point of view. And in doing so, have clearly realized in working with Chris and the team at Lucian that we need to increase the capability and the scale of what we can do from a creative production and media perspective in order to enable the growth that we want to embark upon. So we've kind of had the case internally for insourcing medium creative. Now we are establishing an internal agency that will allow us to be able to meet our demands for 
media, creative and production that will see us significantly increase the size of the business. The case is built, I feel, but the way we're going about it is uh, as a hybrid model. So I'm, I'm a huge believer in the, the hybrid model. Like, like Chris, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the, the best agencies in, in Oz in the, the limited time that I've been here. And Leif and I worked together many years ago when I was at Telstra working with DDB. And what, what I think for us who have slightly smaller pockets, as I say, than some of our competitors, we want to make sure that we've got access to the best talent for those disproportionate moments of importance. And so we are building a new brand platform. We'll um, relaunch our brand strategy with a brand campaign at the start of Q4. And via an introduction from Chris and the guys at Lucian, we're working with Bear Meets Eagle and Fire to do that because we want to work with the best creative talent in order to do those, those big moments of importance. But I, I don't think it makes sense for us to ask that talent to do the versioning and the owned media um, integration. And I don't think it's the best use of our, our money, frankly, to be paying the best agencies and the best talent to do that smaller, more execution-only stuff, which is why we'll have an internal agency that works with the external talent to, to carry that through all of our owned assets and more of the kind of performance digital assets. And similarly, on the, on the media side, we will set up so that we can buy all digital media ourselves, but we'll work with an external, so we're, we're working with Speed, the independent media agency, to help us with that broadcast buy. And they get access to better rates than we'd be able to do ourselves. They've got more capability. And given that we're very calendar-driven as a, as a wager that works alongside the sporting calendar predominantly, then it's you know, we'd have these big moments when we're more visible. And we're not, we're not spending double digits of millions a month on on broadcast media. So we don't need to have all of that capability internally, but we need access to it through a, through a hybrid model. So that's the approach that we're taking. And I'm really excited that, um, that we're going to get that set up and we'll be set up for success for the business going forward. Nick, have you had exposure to sort of in-housing operations prior to Betfair? And because there is discussion and debate around sometimes culture, tech, staying up with it, the investment required, keeping talent, all those things. Um, were they any concerns? Were they on your radar before you did what you did at Betfair or, are you, or have you hit any of those obstacles now? So my, historically, I've always worked with an outsourced model. Um, and I've had small design, you know, graphic design capability internally, but from media has always been external, which is why, frankly, we worked with Chris and the guys at Lucian to really help us go through that process and bring experts who've got that broader perspective to help us work out what all the, the challenges would be and work through their maturity model to see where we were today, where we needed to get to and what the gaps were. Um, I'm, I'm completely comfortable with the process that we've gone through with those guys and where we're about to get to. Look, I, I think there's there's always pluses and minuses for it, right? Which, which is why I think the hybrid model is the best way of doing it in terms of finding the right capability. We haven't built the team yet, Paul, so we're just starting that now. You know, we'll be in market over the coming weeks trying to recruit those roles and, and build the agency team. But we've seen enough over the last 18 months from a digital media buying point of view Bearing in mind that we're essentially a tech business, right? We've got good capability and understanding around data and um, our MarTech um, platforms that we're not starting from zero. 
uh, we've got enough understanding around what we need to do and, and the effectiveness that we've seen by doing it internally. Now we're really turbocharging that rather than completely flipping the model. How did, what does that team look like, Nick? Uh, how big, what sort of people will you event, eventually end up with uh, in that unit? We'll have an internal agency that's between eight and ten people. And historically, that's been spread across the team. We're a marketing team of just over 20. So there'll be, you know, a third of our team will be in the internal agency by the time we set up. And you're going to call it something really cool? We haven't got to that actually yet, but... Um, at the moment, they're the marketing enablement team. Well, that's a beautiful term, Nick. Well done, Justin Ricketts. Um, what do you make of all that? We've got we've heard, heard about process, the, the, the the challenges with agencies in some form for, through process, efficiencies, cost, IP going external, um, and all those other benefits. Uh, you're inside a big group uh, with Hogarth. Maybe you know a little bit about Hogarth as what it, what it's doing. But um, your take on this? Uh, are you a little bit uh, are you a little bit nervous hearing these these chaps talk? No, no, I don't think I'm nervous. Um, so, so Hogarth, yeah, we're, we're a large global creative content or production business, four and a half thousand people. Locally, we've grown from from naught to about 160 people in three years, and and I'll start with that because you know we're, we're finding growth in a market that's typically in decline. Um, the reason for our growth is clients have a big problem. They've got to create more and better content faster and smarter. And I, I want to emphasize the more and better is quite important. Um, and, and the better, you know, it's more impactful, it's more effective, it's optimized to channel an audience. But there's a there's a shitload more content needed. And absolutely, there is a, an efficiency play in terms of speed and cost. Um, because marketing budgets um, are getting pushed and stretched um, quite consistently. So there is a big content crisis. And the reality is the legacy models um, are broken. They can't solve that problem, so change is needed. And in-housing is clearly one potential approach to solving that problem. Uh, I guess what I would like to propagate is I'm not convinced it's the only approach. And I think both um, Chris and Nick have referenced hybrid. But what we're seeing globally and locally is a trend that I call on-siting. So we've got a lot of clients that have tried in-housing and now going to third parties like Hogarth and other agencies to sort of on-site people, but to support those teams in a fully integrated um, model where you've got on-site, off-site, and offshore. Uh, and, and our experience, yeah, even as a large-scaled content creation business of 4,500 people, is the only way we can solve that problem is if we can sort of connect and integrate and almost manage our talent um, in a global um, sort of sense. So, so we're seeing um, that the dangers within housing can become, they can become siloed. Um, when they become siloed, they actually become inefficient. And I can't give you the clients, but we've had two clients in this market that have outsourced their in-house teams. And within 12 months, we're delivering better quality output, 50% cheaper, um, which seems odd because obviously we're an agency that makes money, but we're doing it by, you know, through our experience, we've got the right talent, um, calibrated to the job with, with the best in class process, leveraging um, technology to enable us to actually deliver things more efficiently. And, and so we're seeing a, a, a reverse trend, but I do acknowledge um, there is absolutely benefit in having the right resources in proximity, integrated, enabling brands um, to retain 
talent, if you like. Well, I'll come back to Chris on that because, you know, you talk about uh, outsource the outsourcing of in-housing, which I think is part of what Chris has sort of got that on his radar as well. But Leif, you've got some very, very big clients at, at DDB, Maccas, Volkswagen, Westpac, Coles. What do you make of all this in terms of that? The, what Chris talked about earlier uh, around the, the big cost hurdles turnaround time and also uh, what sort of conversations have you had or having with uh, your clients around in-housing or the outsourced in-house model or the hybrids? What, what are you seeing, Life and welcome? I mean, I'm nodding along furiously to everyone because, I, I mean, rather embarrassingly, I've been at DDB for 21 years uh, in Sydney and I've seen all of this over 21 years and I kind of feel like it's... Um, the conditions are perfect for in-housing as they were 15 years ago. And I think we will see uh, more in-housing because the world's screwed and clients are looking for new solutions. But it's nothing new. And, you know, we, 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 it, we, we go through these cycles and everyone kind of thinks advertising and business is a sprint. Business is a marathon. And if you stay in a business long enough, you see the same trends emerging over and over again. But I think, you know, to answer your question, we, we work we – work comfortably with Coles and Kmart with their in-house teams. They have enormous in-house teams. Um, I kind of liked what Nick was saying around, um, you know, effectiveness and efficiency. Um, I I think that's why Coles has retained DDB um, because they want some of that kind of DDB creative magic, I guess, that they think is worth paying a premium for, and they do pay a premium for that. You know, if they got their in-house team to do their creativity, it would cost them a lot less. But uh, we've managed to convince them, or our reputation has managed to convince them that there is a delta between average creativity and better creativity, and they're prepared to pay the delta, the difference, which is our, which is our premium, because they think they can get accelerated growth. So. If we come back to a growth conversation, which which is what we're in business to do, we're in business to help businesses and brands grow, I think everything's on the table. The conditions are perfect for in-housing um, as they were a number of years ago. What's going to drive the greatest growth depends on the context of the client, where the client finds himself. I'm entirely open to that uh, and work very well with a number of clients, uh, clients uh, in-house teams and have no qualms with that whatsoever. As I said, we are growing because we have managed to convince clients that it's worth paying a premium for above average creativity that accelerates growth. And that's the only thing I can sell is, is our ability to, to help clients grow disproportionately or to grow unfairly by deploying this thing called creativity at scale um, and, and making and moving people into action. So uh, in our business, as, as Usain Bolt says, when he runs 100 meters, it's not complicated, it's just hard. It's exactly the same as our business. It's not complicated. It's just hard to get it right. Well, but Leif, I want to ask you, though, um, so you talk about the same trends as 15 years ago, and you're dead right. I, I remember reporting on some of this stuff exactly that, you know, 15 years ago. There is nuance, though, in, in, in what's happening now versus what we saw uh, even, you know, 10 years ago and what we what people were trying to do then. So we've got now more media, we've got now more different production, even in Chris at Lucian's even talking about bringing in tech and MarTech uh, into a sort of an outsourced in, in-house hybrid, whatever we call it. But that's that's similar macro, but it's quite different down on the street. Is it really the same? I guess life is the question. I, I think it is, Paul. You know, a, a, agencies exist because we are able to attract talent um, that I think is, is above, above average and we have cultures that I think are above average. I mean, I think, you know, why have I been at DDB 21 years? The only reason is because I like the culture here. I like I like the culture of this business. You know, um, 
if, if, if we were clocking time at DDB, we'd be losing money. The, our culture means everyone puts in disproportionate effort. So I, I come back to what are the fundamentals of an agency? An agency has an ability to attract above average talent, has a brilliant culture where people dive on grenades and pull out the impossible every single day of their life. And that is never going to change. And I think Chris or, or Nick said it well when they said, the agency, bringing agency in-house accelerated the culture of the client. I, I think the culture of agencies is the most precious kind of commodity we've got. And, and it doesn't matter what we're delivering. If we lose that X factor, I think we're out of business. So um, I, I guess I'm much more simplistic around what are the fundamentals of what we do uh, as a business and what makes us great and different as a business, as an agency. And we can apply that, hopefully apply that same elixir to any channel and to and to any scenario, because DDB is a big integrated group, 300 people in Sydney. Uh, we have MarTech people, we have, you know, tech stack people here, but they sus subscribe to a culture, which I think is very, very important, and that avoids that kind of silo mentality. Everyone's important here, and everyone has creativity as their north star, because creativity drives growth. So I want to come back to uh, Nick and Chris in a sec, but Justin, uh, Life talks about culture being really critical, but culture in some ways has also meant some of the agencies, big agencies at least, have been very cumbersome. And Chris and, and Nick talk about that. Um, there is, there's cumbersome structures and processes. So uh, for you, culture, um, what happens from the, ex the outside looking into some of these in-housing groups? Can these in-house units uh, create and hold the culture? I think you've got some experience of where that it's a bit hard to sort of find the talent. Your views on the, on the downside to that and uh, the cumbersome uh, ways in which maybe agencies have operated historically. One of the things, later, I think one of the things we need to think about is what works, what goes on site and what goes off site. I mean, we're talking about some very different crafts, if you like, very different talent from, from creative conceptual thinking um, through to creative execution, you know, production, media buying, what else? And I think there are, they all need to be thought about differently because um, I, I totally agree with what Leif said there. So that the magic that DDB can bring or a creative agency can bring, I don't think you'll ever be able to get that sort of thinking in-house. When it comes to the sort of business we operate on, which is more that sort of creative execution and content creation, um, you know, we have a culture, um, and the culture is a different culture to a creative. You know, creative is part of our offering, but, uh, but it's very much a, a culture of finding smarter and better ways um, to do things. And, you know, and innovation is, is quite critical. And I think um, you know, with, with what we do, um, you fundamentally cannot do that if you operate in a silo of a single agency or a single in a single brand, um, and, and you know the challenges we're facing this, and we're a reasonably large global business. The, the change that's going to come to our industry, if you just take something like post production, yeah. So at the moment, if you were setting up a new in-house offering and you wanted to bring post production in-house, um, we think it will look radically different in twelve months' time. So you're going to build. Uh, infrastructure and you're going to hire talent and you'll set up um, all the sort of workflows. And I think in 12 months' time, it will be entirely redundant. That capability will be offshore. Post-production will be pre-production. We'll be relying more on sort of virtual sets and CGI. Um, so, so, so there's so much change coming that I think it's quite dangerous to, to try and take that sort of capability in-house. Um, now, again, we can have talent on site. Uh, we have no issue 
in turning things around in days or minutes or in real time. And in fact, with an on-site and offshore model, we can throw that challenge around the world and follow the sun and get something back quicker than trying to throw something into a, into a team that may not have the capacity or the capability to do it. Chris Maxwell, the points that Leif makes around culture, what happens, how do you hold that, how do you build it, can you really replicate it inside um, an in-house unit uh, when it's smaller uh, and it doesn't have the exposure to you know, all the things that say, an agency does? Um, what, do you do, what do you say about culture and, and what becomes of the, of the client uh, or the brand agency matrix uh, you know, in, in, in the coming years? What changes? I, I think, um, thanks, uh, and I, I think... We're all furiously nodding at everything everyone else is saying. It's quite funny. There's a lot of agreement on the on the call. Um, with regard to culture, I mean, I think the first thing is anytime we talk to our partners and our clients about this, it's about considering what kind of culture do you want to set? You know, do you want the internal team to be part of your broader corporate culture or do you want to have a separate culture, a more creative and more agile and more nimble culture? And, you know, we, we work with our um, clients to bespoke design and have a vision for what that culture should be for their internal team. From experience, you know, we set up the, the internal agency at CUB. We wanted it to have a culture more energetic, more agile, um, uh, more kind of fun and, and diverse culture. And we liked the fact that that was coming to sit on the corporate sort of marketing floor at CUB and permeate the floor and generate that sort of energy and, and, and and culture outside so and, and it did successfully chris it's hugely beneficial like like um to the point where you've got people from around the organization saying how do i get in that team how do i be part of that you know so i think if you if you know that culture is important and i think we all do then setting a vision and, and, and designing for that is really important and i just want to kind of come back to some of the points that justin was talking about because one of the things um, it's important to know is our belief at lucian our belief is it's not one size fits all. And we're certainly not saying, you know, everything has to go in-house. I think we, we take, and Nick can sort of speak to the process that we went through with Betfair, but we take a, a very kind of robust um, strategy and design process on every client to decide what are the right things to be bringing inside and then what are the things that you should continue to, to source from outside the organisation. You know, and that, that's how you know, we go into the point of connecting Nick up with um, some, some creative talent, you know, exceptional creative talent at Bermuda Eagle on Fire because we've, we've got a belief that um, whilst there are certainly effectiveness and efficiency gains to be had by bringing capabilities inside the organisation, there's always going to be need for external, specialised, diverse, creative thinking, creative ambition, you know, hired, hired guns, if you will, to come in and help out on, on different things. And we've built out kind of this network, this panel of Australia's best strategy, creative and production talent to do just that, to kind of partner with the in-house capabilities and bolster them when they need them, but but in a much more sort of um, project-based um Get in, be deep, engage on a project, and then kind of you can uh, move on. Um, so, so we've, we're big believers in both of those models. And, and to Justin's point, that idea of uh, implanting um, agency people—you know—that's another model that we're big believers in. We offer that uh, that same sort of service across not just creative and production, but also the more integrated um, approach, digital and media, etc. So, you know, lots of people are starting to do that. That gives you a bit more flexibility, as Justin said, and it, it enables the client side 
to have that internal focused talent and the proximity without having to carry that headcount. And there's a big benefit to that as well. And again, that's why we, we kind of offer both those options. One is build it in and put it in your business and one is we'll, we'll implant them in your business for, for you. Chris Leif makes a, a really interesting point that, you know, DDB is a very big classic multinational agency that's, you know, really hitched its britches to, to creativity and, and great product. You've got Life's business at DDB going very well. You've got a specialist uh, player like Hogarth with Justin going very well. What does a future agency look like and what does a future internal agency or a hybrid agency look like? Well, let's go to the future of agencies first, Chris. What's your take on that? Because there's a lot of talk, obviously, around it, around them. I 100% agree with Leif when he talks about, you know, agencies aren't going anywhere and what they bring is they bring diverse creative thinking, they bring energy, they bring culture. You're always going to need that. You're always going to need specialists and elite kind of capable um, creatives and strategists and and innovation thinkers and and production people to come in and help on projects. I think the future is um, agencies and creatives need to get higher up the sort of the the work stream and be closer to strategy, closer to the brand. Um, And I also think more and more businesses and brands will start to kind of decouple some of these capabilities, whether it's digital, data, media, um, Justin's talking about creative and production, and bring more of them in-house or find more efficient ways to do them, whether that's in-house or not, you know, find more efficient ways to do some things so that you can free up the right level of investment to pay the best, smartest, most capable people to do those really important pieces of work. And, you know, that's the model that we're trying to we're trying to build and that's what we believe in, you know, is is rather than one size fits all, Let's have the most efficient and effective way of doing that sort of day-to-day 80% of the churn and burn of marketing so that when those big projects come up, you've freed up some of your investment to invest in the right capabilities and the right people to do that work as well. Leif, does that suit you, a, a sort of a high-end creative agenda and strategy, and that's what you know the, 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 your agency becomes and some of those, a whole bunch of other ancillary downstream services actually go somewhere else? Well, that's how we work with Coles. Right. Exactly what just uh, what Chris is suggesting is is exactly our relationship with Coles. Um, so I'm super comfortable with that. I think looking for disproportionate growth is is one proof point. I think creative awards, unfortunately, love them or hate them, are super super important. And I think effectiveness awards are super important. And there's great evidence now around the correlation between creativity and effectiveness. And I. But, you know, I, I would love to see the day when in-house teams are producing creative award-winning work at the big shows in Cannes and Clio, and they are winning the big effectiveness awards. I, I think then I will be super convinced that it's the, you know, the world's best model, and that is the right model. But I don't see it yet, and I'm a simple man. That's what I'm looking for. And I'll be really convinced when I see an agency that has, is killing it, that's an in-house agency. I'll be super convinced. But until then, I think we've got something to offer that's really, really, still really relevant and really exciting. Nick Thomas, you've got some thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great observation, Leif. I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm a big believer in all of the empirical evidence now that connects creativity and award-winning work with effectiveness, you know, whoever that might be that's shared it, whether it's Burnett and Field, et cetera. So, um, but I think to say that the internal agencies aren't yet working, I think it depends on what they're set up to do. Right. You know, so in that value chain of, if you take, go back to the hybrid model where what we do is working with Bermuda's even on fire to give us that big creativity piece, the, the magic that you described earlier versus us doing the down, downstream stuff. I, my question would be whether anyone that's, internalize their agency and creativity yet is 
really trying to go right across the the piece and do the the tier one brand building creativity piece to an award-winning standard i think you can sometimes see in the work what's been done internally versus through a through an agency the level of production is often different um so so i think that's one thing for us to consider my other kind of build on when we're talking about culture is that I've been, I guess, unfortunate enough to see some of the great ways that clients treat agencies and some of the poorer ways in which clients treat agencies and that kind of thing. Justin talked about it, you know, like, you know, working all hours a day and chase the sun. Well, you know, sometimes that's forced upon agencies by, um, you know, the, the strained relationship between client and partner. And for me, I think building that culture piece with your internal team just helps that become even stronger because I think you're less likely to use the the barrier of an external partner to, to treat people in a way that I sometimes see your your peers and colleagues Justin Leif treated at times and uh, I don't think that I don't think that's cool but I think that you'll you'll see that culture build stronger internally because you just naturally got people inside the tent a little bit more than when when your partners sit outside of the the building kind of physically or um, metaphorically. Thanks, Nick. There's a couple of points I want to cover off before we have to wrap this up and you guys are going to give me your crystal ball for the next 12 months, what might be the dominant, not the trend, but dominant uh, influence uh, influences uh, in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, I do want to ask though, Chris made the point early on about, uh, this is to Leif and, and uh, to Justin, um, the, the, one of the benefits of, of, of taking uh, some of the stuff in-house is that the IP stays inside the organisation. There's organisational learning, there's capabilities that are built and it's not being outsourced or a brand or a, a, a marketer is not funding uh, the capabilities of an external partner. How does that sit with you guys? Um, maybe Justin first, the IP stuff. There's, there's two answers there. One, there's a bit of a trade-off, I think. So, um, yeah, you want to retain some IP, um, but you also want, in our world, that would be the, the access you're getting to our talent at scale and the innovation, the technology and the process, um, which is evolving daily, I'd argue, if not weekly, versus some IP that you own in-house. So I think there is a trade-off, but I think the trade-off uh, for me um, in the space we're operating, um, I don't think... Um, siloed humans inside a client are going to be able to deliver faster and cheaper than a scaled operation leveraging best-in-class technology and innovation. Secondly, if you've got people on site um, and you put the right people on site, then I think you can actually get the benefit of the proximity, the integrated thinking and that IP because they're sitting on site integrated with your team. So I don't necessarily think you lose IP. There's a trade-off. Uh, to life, then, then Chris. Yeah, I have a completely different point of view. We have more tenure than all of our clients on the brands we work on. Um, you know, we've been working on McDonald's for 49 years. I've been personally working on McDonald's for 21 years. I've seen eight or nine marketing directors in that time. I think we have, you know, I go through our clients, McDonald's 49 years, Johnson & Johnson 25 years, Volkswagen 20 years, Westpac 12 years, Unilever 23 years. I mean, that's tenure. So um, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any more tenure at a, a client than there is at an agency. And arguably, there's more tenure, in my, in my experience, at, at, on the agency side. Um, certainly, the access to data yeah, that a client has internally is, 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 is much greater than the access I have to the data. But in terms of memory of the brand, I'd say DDB 
uh, has more has more tenure than, than all of those clients I've just mentioned. Great points, Chris Maxwell. The, the question wasn't so much as in terms of tenure on, on the brand, because I think there are plenty of agencies and clients who have great relationships, long-term relationships, and that's really valuable. It was more around um, when you're exploring and learning new ways of doing things, new channels, whether it's new ways of building content, um, there was huge value, certainly in my experience for CV, in bringing that innovative thinking and innovative learning back into the business rather than having that outside the organisation because when it's inside the organisation, it, it is able to permeate the business in a more effective way. And, and that was that was my experience and I'm sure there are plenty of great relationships between clients and agencies, long-term relationships, which are wonderful. And, and it's not um, casting aspersions on that at all. It was just in our experience um, in that time, having lots of different agencies working on the, the business and um, lots of different activities and promotional um, um, campaigns going on at the same time, we weren't bringing the learnings from each one of them and, 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 and permeating um, them through the business. So having that inside was, was better for us at the time. Nick, you got some thoughts? The other thing for me, I think, as a, as a CMO, client side, it's incumbent upon me and my peers to ensure that our marketing teams don't defer that external perspective to their agency partners. And so, you know, the cliche, you can't be a great marketer sat behind your desk or maybe in a COVID time, you've got, you've got to find a way, but you've got to do that through through networking and being well-read, et cetera. But I see sometimes that marketers lean upon their agency partners for the for the thinking, the external perspective and the, the new ideas. And clearly they have some advantage in that because as you just talked about, Leif, right, you've got great um, clients across your portfolio but it's also up to the marketers to make sure that they're informed, they bring an external perspective and they don't rely upon people outside their business, partners or not, to do that. So listen, we are going to have to wrap this up because I could go for about three hours and I think we're already um, at, at four days. Um, there's a couple of points I just want to uh, finish off with. Um, Chris, Nick Garrett, one of your partners at, at Lucian, talked about the danger in, in, in a piece um, we did with MI3 last week, I think he talked about this real danger between uh, efficiency and effectiveness and the the downside to in-housing and beyond, not just at, just not in-housing, of lower cost and lower cost usurps sometimes efficacy. Um, some thoughts, very quick thoughts on that. Yeah, really, really important um, point. And our perspective is um, you can't, it can't just be about efficiency and savings. So this is, has to be about doing better work smarter work, more effective work and driving growth. Ultimately, this is all, everything we do is about driving growth for businesses and brands and you can't lose sight of that. A lot of the conversations we have are, how can you help us save some money? And, and of course, you know, there's opportunities for efficiencies to be gained in, in doing this. And I think Justin has spoken to that as, as well, but it can't all be about that. It's really got to be about setting up yourself as a business to drive growth. And if that's having greater proximity to the brand, if that's doing better creative work, if that's doing more effective work, more effective media buying, it's all got to be bundled up under that kind of efficiency plus effectiveness or drive growth. Nick, are you more efficient or more effective in, in the unit that you're building initially? What will be the the early results? Well, can I be greedy and, and chase both? Okay. I think that the two go together, right? Um, you know, we're trying to be effective in the work that we do and make sure that we've got better attribution and tracking and the ability to get right message in front of the right person at the right time. And you know, we've very segment level led in what we do. We have four key customer segments that we orientate all of our activity around. So we want to make sure that we are effectively and efficiently 
activating those customers and, and driving good work for them. So I think Justin talked about the fact we've got, you know, we talk about media, we talk about creative, we talk about production. They, they work together, but they're, they're not always the same. Um, so we're chasing both, but we're making sure, and this is one of the things that Chris and Lucian are helping us with, that we've got the right level of attribution and plumbing to be able to track right across the value um, exchange between us and our customers that we look at both. Quick thoughts from Justin and Leif on that efficiency versus effectiveness, Justin. I think it's both. You, you need both. Um, again, we're, when we're focusing on content, the, the, the world doesn't have a shortage of content. So I don't think any clients are trying to create more content for the sake of it. We need more, better content. Well, they actually do, I would argue, Justin. There's a lot of shit being produced, I have to say. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, they need better and, and more. So I think you need both. Um, and I think all the stats point to that I see is in terms of effectiveness, I think 70% of effectiveness seems to be linked back to the creative message, not not the programmatic buy or the audience buy. So, so the quality of content is absolutely critical when it comes to effectiveness. Life, efficiency, effectiveness. Both, but I totally agree with what Justin's just said. Just, just one point that Nick said earlier I think is uh, so interesting is um, – I think where we've had strength as an agency is bringing the real world into the client's business. You know, I don't want to replicate what the client's world is about because they do that very, very well. I think that external global macro perspective of culture and consumers, I think, is really valuable. And um, I think it's an advantage with agencies. Uh, we are just more naturally exposed to more stuff every single day because we are amongst people that work on multiple categories and mul- multiple geographies, are looking at macro trends all the time. So a bit like behavioral economics, the nudges are just there for us all the time. So I think it's a natural advantage agencies have, which is to bring a real-world macro perspective into clients. And I, I think Nick's right. Clients will defer to the agency, but it's just naturally easier for agencies to have a broader perspective because of the, we do a much broader suite of work across so many categories. And there are 10,000 DDB people around the world doing the same thing. So I was on a global call this morning. I got some amazing insight from my local market from the guys in Brazil. You know, that that's hard to, it doesn't happen easily within a client organization. It happens by osmosis at an agency. I think that's a real advantage once again. And that adds to effectiveness. I think, Leif, then when you, when you come to the, you know, when will an internal agency build and do award-winning work, you've got to find the, the right client where the best creative talent is prepared to do all of their work on one brand and be permanently employed by that business. And that's, that's a challenge you've got to overcome from an insourcing point of view that always gives the, the agency an advantage. Yeah, and, and, and there is there is an answer. I think Apple is probably that client. Um, you know, Apple, that, yeah. Apple's yeah. done award-winning work internally, but I think that's an exceptional client. Spotify are in the US, another one. So you know, there, there are definitely some big brands having done that. But just picking up on that point about awards, and it is worth touching on this, having spoken to a bunch of the businesses in Australia who have in-house agencies, businesses like Sportsbet and Optus and CUB, um, one of the things we, we've talked about awards and whether it's worth um, or what's the motivation for entering into awards for an in-house agency. And if you think about, there's definitely strong motivation for an external agency in entering awards because it's business development for them. You know, the, the more they can win, the more clients want to come and talk to them. Internal agencies don't actually have that same um, dynamic or that same pressure. So it feels a bit like beating your own drum for the sake of beating your own drum, which means they don't actually enter the awards. And I'm actually talking to a bunch of them about let's do a bit more of this because the work you're doing is great and it should be recognised and it'll help 
raise the profile of the quality of the work you're doing. Because I think what, you, what you're seeing, Leif, is a lot of great work going out there into the marketplace and you might not, not even know that it's made by an internal agency or they're certainly not entering into awards because that becomes pretty low on the priority list of lots of things they're trying to do, whereas in an external agency, it's really high on the priority list. Except when they want to attract great talent, that's when it becomes... That's absolutely why we're talking why we're talking to them about it, is to kind of go, let's raise the profile of the quality of the work you can do um, so that we can make this uh, much more appealing um, proposition for people to come and work on an in-house brand. Gents, we're running out of time. Um, I want to whilst you think about your two big predictions around this area for the next 12 to 18 months. Chris, I just want to very quickly touch on, we've sort of played with a little bit of media and programmatic and lots of production and creativity. You're also looking at tech data and MarTech as an in-house outsourced hybrid upside down model of whatever it is. Um, what, what's your thinking there? Well, the thinking there is um, we, we've got um, lots of clients Every, everyone's kind of thinking through what does the future of that look like? You know, I think the, the MarTech landscape, you've all seen the MarTech landscape that just looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. It's kind of crazy. And um, everyone's wondering what's going on. So we've got some fantastically talented consultants in our business who come in and help um, clients navigate that and help them sort of um, figure out what they want to do in the future. What do you want to, how do you want to engage with your customers and your consumers? What do you want to do with your data in terms of personalization um, and optimization and help build the technology, the data strategy, the ad tech, the martech infrastructure that goes around that to enable that. So, so we're we're um, helping consult with you know one of our clients here, Betfair, on exactly that right now, and, and plenty of other clients around things like marketing automation, um, you know, helping design workflows, etc. So we've just um, uh, set up part of our practice around ad tech, martech and, and automation and, and data and technology to help clients because we know that that's a problem for them and they, they need help thinking through that now. It's a very ambitious brief. Justin Ricketts, predictions, uh, forecast, um, tell us your crystal ball for, 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 yeah, I know, I know he's shaking his head going, do you have to? No, no, no I think I'll, I'll go back to there's a content crisis. It's a big problem. There was going to be, a, I think there's going to be a lot of change and a lot of disruption um, because I don't think the current model is working. So I, I, I forecast more decoupling, and whether that decoupling goes in-house or to a partner running an on-site, off-site, offshore framework, I don't know. Um, so, but I do think um, content creation or production will get decoupled. And I think it will increasingly be managed globally, not locally, not in silos. So uh, I'm going to say globalization of content creation due to innovation and tech. All right, 4th of February, 2022. I'm coming back around to you, Justin Ricketts, to see what's happened. Nick Thomas, uh, a couple of big calls for you on where it might head in the next year. The predominant change we'll see in this area between clients and agencies is a greater push for transparency, particularly on the media side. You know, all the stuff that's happening around Google and the ACCC's um, ad tech report, I think, will drive more people on the client side to push for transparency with their partners rather than necessarily act as a catalyst for um, driving insourcing. I think that, for me, is the the, the big one. Um, and I, I agree with Justin. I, I think we're going to see a shift from this produce as much content as possible on content for the sake of content. We're going to see a bit of a rationalisation on that as we get people more focused on the, the emotional side of advertising, which I think is always been there but has been forgotten a little bit over the last year or two. Life Stromness, what do you think? For me, it's easy. I think uh, digital transformation is on everyone's agenda in a post-COVID world. That is the enduring trend out of COVID. Every brand's got every brand 
owner is going to be thinking, how can I turn my brand into a digital experience brilliantly and with emotion at the center? Chris Maxwell. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with what everybody said. And what I'm kind of hoping for is, you know, Justin sort of said earlier, um, the traditional model's broken. And, and, you know, as you say, in a post-COVID world, people are looking for new and better um, ways of doing things. And I think we're all kind of talking about that right now on this call. There's, there's lots of different new, better ways of doing things. And what I hope is that clients can kind of look around and go, um, th- there's more efficient, more effective, faster, smarter ways of doing things now. And let's go and um, explore that. Nick Thomas, Chris Maxwell, Justin Ricketts, Leifs, thank you. I'm going to look at in-housing and outsourcing myself, see how that one goes. And I look forward to a catch-up uh, later in the year on this one. It's a fascinating subject. Stay safe and we will talk soon. Great. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.